You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Welcome to the service today, and before we get into the teaching, let's go ahead and say a brief word of prayer. Lord, uh, thank you for each one that's tuning in today. And we, as we come before you and your word, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to understand, learn, and grow from this. Father, as the teacher today, I ask you to help me to be helpful. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you and useful to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever wanted a sign that God is for real? Don't feel bad about that. You know, a lot of people want that, and it's not just spiritual investigators that are trying to figure out if God is for real. Some of you who have believed in Christ, but your faith is waning. And perhaps sometimes you ask yourself, am I basing my life and eternity on something that's real, or have I been somehow swept up into some type of group hysteria? Well, the royal official in our story today was able to find a sign pointing to faith. Has your spiritual life ever felt like you were like wandering through an unfamiliar airport, just looking for a sign to point you to your gate? And you know, a lot of us would get lost in our cars without the GPS on our phone showing us the signs of where to go. Does your spiritual life need a sign that will direct you where to go? Now for some, I'm asking God to give you a sign pointing to faith. And my genuine hope is, is that some of you will remember your sign pointing to faith. And I hope that others of you will look back on your life and recognize the events of your life that are signs pointing you to faith. Now, as Jesus was giving the people from his hometown these signs pointing to faith, he realized how hard it was to influence friends and family to faith. If you go to the text we're studying today in verse 44, he says, a prophet has no honor in his own country. You know how hard it is to influence your family or the people from your own neighborhood because they know all the bad stuff you've done. Now, of course, they had no juicy chisme on Jesus, but he was just acknowledging that it's hard for people to think that the Messiah, God in human form, Savior of the world, can come from their little community. He shouldn't be from our little community. The Messiah shouldn't be from our town. He should be from somewhere that's big and important. It's kind of like the Messiah coming from Hondo, Texas, you know, some obscure place. The hometown folk had a really hard time believing. And I want to ask you a question today. How are you like the hometown folk? Many of them were blinded from understanding the signs pointing to faith. They were like some people today who think that Jesus is just a little superstition from a religious upbringing. It's just family tradition and lore. Well, that mindset blinds people from understanding the signs that are pointing to faith. So if you ever tried to speak into your own family, you ever tried to talk to somebody in your own family, you know, sometimes it can be difficult because they've seen your humanness. And conversely, if there's someone in your family trying to speak to you about spiritual truth, be careful that you don't write them off because God might just be speaking to you through them. 
Could it be that within your own family, there's a sign pointing to faith? That said, why did the hometown folk end up listening to Jesus? Well, I'll tell you why. Because of the signs and wonders. Look down at verse 45. Having seen all the things that he did, and he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made water to wine. They're thinking, yeah, this is just little Jesus who grew up not far from here, but dude, I was at a wedding and he turned water into the most delicious wine I've ever tasted. Now, even though most of the time a prophet has no honor in his hometown, this group of people half-heartedly received Jesus because they saw miracles or what John calls signs. So I want you to look at how John describes the hometown folk and their faith in John 2.23. It says, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. Now look, Jesus still does signs and wonders today. But here's the thing. He doesn't perform on command. I sure wish he would because it would make my job a lot easier if I could just get Jesus to do some miracles and some magic tricks for my unbelieving friends and say, look, you see how real he is? (laughs) You know, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't do miracles. Could it be that signs and wonders don't guarantee someone will actually believe. I'll have more to say on that here in just a minute. But for now, let's get back to the royal official and we're gonna see the request for a sign leading to faith. Look down at verse 46. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was, look at this, imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So the royal official, this guy is probably a Jewish guy who works for the ruler in that area, Herod Antipas, who was not really a very nice guy. And the royal official was probably wealthy and powerful, yet he humbles himself and he's willing to walk the 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana, where Jesus was at the time. Now, there may be times in which Jesus does just drop a miracle in your lap, but most of the time you have to spiritually walk to Cana. That is, you have to seek Jesus to experience Jesus. This guy was willing to seek Jesus with humility and effort. And I want to encourage you today for logging on to this service today. You know, a lot of people expect God to do something for them without even putting forth the effort to log on to a church service online and watch it from their couch in their pajamas. And a lot of us within this church have stories of how we didn't want to go to church on a given Sunday or a given week, but we put forth the effort to go anyway. And it was on that very Sunday that God did a significant work in our lives and in our hearts. And so the royal official put forth the effort to come and he came because he was motivated. He was motivated because his son was about to die. You know, you would think that Jesus would be gentle with this royal official who's an emotional wreck because his son's condition. But Jesus doesn't comfort him or speak gently to him. Jesus' response is actually a little strange. So when Jesus responds to this man who asked for a miracle of healing, 
Jesus points out the weakness of wonders, the weakness of wonders. Look down in verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not what? Believe. Now you'd think that Jesus would have a little more emotional intelligence with this royal official than to correct him and the crowd who was standing there watching the conversation. But Jesus knows what's in their hearts. And like a spiritual surgeon, he cuts right to the heart of the matter. So what is the heart of the matter? Well, these people, here it is. These people want a magic show more than they want a relationship. Remember the last time Jesus did a miracle in Cana? changing the water to wine at a wedding. And remember what the sign represented? That Jesus wants love relationship with us like a bride with her loving husband. Jesus, the God of joy, wants love. So today, what we better recognize is that Jesus is about love relationship. This is about knowing God more intimately, becoming more familiar with Jesus's personality, his preferences, and his perspective. Yet these people in our Bible story today just want magic tricks. They want David Blaine or David Copperfield more than the son of David. They want Harry Houdini, not the husband of heaven. They want signs more than a spouse, miracles more than a marriage. And this isn't the only time that Jesus has to correct people who don't want relationship. If you go back to Matthew chapter seven, look at verse 22. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many what? Miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Now look at this other one. Remember, the story of doubting Thomas when he saw Jesus bodily risen from the dead and he touched the holes in Jesus' hands and feet. And it was after this that he was willing to believe. And look at what Jesus says right after Thomas believes in John chapter 20, verse 29. Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who, what? Believe without seeing me. Jesus wants us to believe. Whether we've seen miracles or not seen miracles, he wants us to believe. And sometimes he gives a miracle and sometimes he doesn't. But at the end of the day, what he wants is for you and I to believe. In fact, the theme of the whole book of John that we're studying this summer is written down in John chapter 20. Look at verse 31. But these are written that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, what? Believing you may have life in his name. Now look, some people are more skeptical and some people are more trusting. I'll tell you, the older I get, the more skeptical I become. Belief in Jesus, you got to understand this, belief in Jesus is for the skeptical and the more trusting. Now, one of the things that you'll learn about Christianity, if you really look into it, is that there are actually a large number of Christ followers who are skeptical types that don't just trust everybody or everything that they read or hear. 
Sure, there are some people who grew up in church and have a predisposition to believing, just like many people grow up in unbelieving households and have a predisposition to unbelief. In our church, I know many, many people who are skeptical types, who have searched it out, and if you're a spiritual investigator, I really hope that you'll search it out for yourself because to find a sign pointing to faith involves reason. You have to use your head. You have to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So why did the royal official ask Jesus to heal his son? Because he had heard the reports and he believed them. He had to think about it. He had to think about the reports that other people had given him. Maybe it was one of his friends who told a story of a miracle that he saw Jesus do. Maybe one of his friends was at the wedding where Jesus turned water to wine. You know, we do the same thing with people's testimonials or stories. We trust the information that we see in books, or we trust the information we hear in a podcast, or uh, we trust friends because we use reason. Reason is part of the story of a guy named Dr. Francis Collins, a geneticist, former head of the Human Genome Project and the current director of the National Institute of Health. Dr. Collins was recently interviewed by Time Magazine. Uh, We'll link to this in the comments below. But since he's recently been asked to help combat COVID-19 at the national level, and in an interview, Dr. Collins talked about his past life of unbelief, and here's what he said. I was trying to prove my atheism and discovered that atheism is probably the least rational of all the choices because it takes the position of asserting a universal negative, which scientists in general are discouraged from doing. Here's more of Dr. Collins' story by way of video. Take a look. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that face, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning 
and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history, and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings, and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me. A journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to. A journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. Stories like this are featured in Alpha Course, which I'm hosting on Tuesday nights via Zoom. Now, we're three weeks into the class this Tuesday, uh, and this Tuesday is the last week that you can join the group. So we'll link to registration for Alpha Course in the comments below if you'd like to join us this Tuesday night. Dr. Collins understood that to find a sign pointing to faith requires faith. To find a sign pointing to faith requires you to exercise faith. Now, some people say, I'm not a person of faith. I'm a person of pure logic. I want to challenge that just for a minute. I don't know that you are because everyone has faith. It's just a matter of the object of your faith. So I want to ask you a question. Can you prove your unbelief? Now, if you go to college study, you'll find that most philosophers say that you can't prove anything. Haven't you seen that movie, The Matrix? How can you prove you're not laying in a liquid tub with electrodes programming your memories? Pastor and author Tim Keller says you can't prove the most important things in life. So you can't prove you married the right person, can you? I mean, you can Facebook stalk them or run one of those internet background reports on them, but you still can't prove they were the right person to marry. You also can't prove that your moral convictions are right, whatever they may be. Why should people have to live by your moral standards? How did you come to those moral convictions? And why do you have the authority to impose them on other people? You know, many people demand proof from God that they don't demand in any other areas of their life. People get into airplanes when they don't know anything about the pilot. People go to doctors they know little about. People drive cars when they know very little about combustion engines. We're all exercising faith. Christ followers are just honest about it. Christ followers look at the historical, archaeological, and experiential evidence for Jesus, who is the object of our faith. Faith is best illustrated by this old story. I've told it many times over the years. No doubt some of you have heard this old story about Charles Blondin. Now, a lot of those old preacher stories or preacher illustrations make a good point. But sometimes they're not real stories. They're more like parables. So what I'll do sometimes since I'm a fan of these old stories is that I'll go back and fact check these old stories to see if they're based on real people or if they're just lore. So I was pretty excited to find out 
in recent years that the old story of Charles Blondine is actually based upon a real life historical person. So in case you've never heard this old story, here's a brief video that explains it. Take a look. Charles Blondine, he was one of the greatest tightrope walkers in the history of the world. And one of his greatest feats was walking the, the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, 11,000 feet long, 160 feet above the water. And this he accomplished a number of times and, and always with different theatric variations. Blindfolded, in a sack, pushing a wheelbarrow, on stilts, carrying a man on his back, and sitting down one time midway while he made and ate an omelet. And one day after he had pushed a wheelbarrow across the, the Niagara Falls and come back on that tightrope, he asked a question. How many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and push him across the tightrope? And everybody cheered and yelled and screamed and everybody believed. And then he asked for a volunteer. And the crowd grew very, very quiet until one man stepped out of the crowd and got in the wheelbarrow. There's a difference between the crowd and the man in the wheelbarrow in regards to God. Where are you? So I want to ask you something. Are you in the crowd or in the wheelbarrow of faith? Those of us who have a relationship with Christ want to be wheelbarrow people. I want to be a man who gets into the wheelbarrow and trusts God with my life. And I know that many of you are the same. Wheelbarrow people aren't afraid to tell others they follow Jesus. They're not afraid to strike up a conversation about Jesus. We call it around here, love-angelizing. Wheelbarrow people courageously have the most meaningful conversation that you can have, motivated by love and genuine compassion. They want others to enter into love relationship with Jesus. Wheelbarrow people speak up for racial equality because Jesus said his people are from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Wheelbarrow people trust God with their money, with their time, with their very lives. And if you're committed to being a wheelbarrow person, I want you to do something for me right now. Type in the comments on the channel you're watching, I'm in the wheelbarrow. Now, if you won't exert the energy to type it in comments, what makes you think you'll do it in real life? I believe better things about you. Type in the declaration, I'm in the wheelbarrow as an act of faith that leads to action. Now, let's get back to the story of the royal official. Before he got into the wheelbarrow, he learned that to get a sign pointing to faith, he had to ask again. He'd already asked once, but he had to ask again. After he had asked Jesus once to heal his son, he does it one more time. Look at verse 49. Sir, come down before my child dies. And look at what happens next. Jesus said to him, go, 
your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. So this royal official, he humbles himself. He asked Jesus a second time to help his son. He's kind of like Jacob who wrestled with God and wouldn't let go until God blessed him. He's kind of like the guy in Matthew 7 who keeps asking, seeking, and knocking. And at this point, the royal official doesn't care about his title or position. He just wants his little boy to get healed. And then Jesus releases amazing healing power with a word 15 miles away. Biochemistry changes happen in a little boy. That's the power of Jesus. He, he can just think it and a world is created. Jesus did a miracle of healing for the child and his dad. And as I read this story, it was a little bit personal for me because some of you know that my wife and me years ago, we asked God again and again for God to heal our son who was diagnosed with a lifelong disease called celiac. As a little boy, our son experienced excruciating pain from eating normal foods that you and I take for granted. My wife and I took him to doctors who had no idea what to do. And back in those days, people didn't know as much as they do about the disease today. We were frustrated seeing our son suffer. Finally, we got a diagnosis and we were able to adjust his diet and give him a little bit of relief. Yet, if there was even a hint of flour or gluten, even in the air, he would have violently painful reactions. So we sat our son between us on the couch and we prayed, asking God to heal him. Then at a church service, we took him to the front after the service and asked the church elder to pray for healing. Then another friend of ours who believed in healing prayed over him for healing. There were others praying for our son I don't even remember all the prayers. The point is, we prayed again and again and again. So how would we ever know if any of those prayers worked? Because we certainly weren't going to feed our kid gluten. We didn't want to see him hurt. That's when God had to trick us. We went to see relatives in Branson, Missouri for a little vacation. If you've never been to Branson, it's kind of like the redneck version of Las Vegas. And uh, while we were there, watching a show, the waiter brought out our meals. By the way, before we ever went to the show, my wife had called ahead to make sure that we could order a gluten-free meal for our son. So can you imagine our horror when we noticed our son chowing down on regular noodles with gluten in them? And so I immediately scooped him up and ran to the restroom as we sat there for a while in the restroom and he never had a negative reaction. We didn't understand why. So God had to trick us again. We were driving back through the city where my parents live and we were all out to eat. Again, my wife Jeannie called ahead to order a gluten-free meal for our son. Then again, we were horrified to find our son eating food that clearly had gluten in it. We asked the waiter about it and he said he was told to take the gluten-free order to a kid in the red shirt. Well, as it turns out, there was another kid with a red shirt eating our son's gluten-free meal. So again, I scoop him up, went to the restroom, and again, he had no negative reaction. So we started to suspect that God was up to something. So when we got home to San Antonio, we took our son to the specialist who had diagnosed the disease. 
The doctor recommended that we feed him a little bit of gluten in small increments to see how he reacts. And we never saw a negative reaction. Now our son boldly proclaimed to the doctor, God healed me. (laughs) And this wise doctor said, if God healed you, he won't mind if we do a test called an endoscopy where we look at your insides to see if a healing took place. And I'll never forget the results of that endoscopy. The doctor said our son's insides look like he had never had celiac disease. Well, I was still a little skeptical and I thought, well, you know, doctor, I've read some articles on the internet where the disease can go into remission, but it'll pop back up later. Well, the doctor's words were, I'm no longer treating your son for celiac. And this wasn't just one doctor's opinion, but he submitted our son's case to a team of doctors who made the diagnosis And he repeated the words, I'm no longer treating your son for celiac. And here's a picture of our son with his doctor, Dr. Ben Elizondo, who experienced his first medical miracle. And for years, our son had to go without any foods with wheat, barley, flour, oats, or rye. He couldn't eat anything that's bread-like. So when Dr. Elizondo pronounced the healing, Jeannie asked our son River what he wants to eat. In this next picture shows you what he chose. (laughs) Some Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) So we call this the Krispy Kreme miracle. And our son is 20 years old now and he regularly enjoys donuts, pizza, any food he chooses. He's grown up to be a great young man. Now, having told you that story, I want you to know that I've prayed for all kinds of people. I've prayed for others that I love to be healed and they weren't healed. In fact, I've prayed for some people who have even died. I can't tell you why some people get healed and others don't. That's God's business. What I can tell you is that people still get healed when we believe the word like the royal official in our story today. And the event of my son's healing is one of these significant signs pointing to faith for my wife and I. As I wrap up this teaching, I want to address three groups of you. First, those of you who have believed in Christ, but due to some current circumstances in your life, your faith is just hanging on by a thread. I want to challenge you to, again, get in the wheelbarrow. I want to challenge you to follow the example of the royal official who had the tenacity to ask again. It's time for you to go to God and ask again. Ask for a healing. Ask for a job if you don't have one. Ask for a breakthrough in some area of your life. Then there's the second group of you. Those of you who have believed, but you've forgotten what God did for you. Perhaps some of you need to look back at the past sign that's pointing to faith from your life and remember that God did something for you that you couldn't have done for yourself. Remember how God pulled you out of a destructive lifestyle. Remember how God provided for you financially. Remember how God drew you to salvation. I would say write those stories out so that you'll remember them. Why do you think I tell the story of my son's healing like every two years at church services? Because when my faith starts to weaken, I can always go back to that story and remember what God has done and it renews and re-energizes my faith. 
And then there's group number three. Those of you who have not yet believed in Christ, today is your day. You're ready to believe and step into the wheelbarrow of faith. It's not faith in your ability to conjure up faith. It's not faith in your ability to be a good person and earn a love relationship with God. It's faith in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is the ultimate spiritual tightrope walker and you can trust him with your life and your eternity. So with that in mind, let's bow for prayer together. And as we pray, I wanna pray for the first group of you that are discouraged right now spiritually, that your faith is hanging on by a thread. God, I pray that those are struggling in their faith, that you would energize them, that you would give them the motivation to ask for you to do something again, that they would, like Jacob, wrestle with you in prayer and endure in prayer, and that they would gain another sign pointing to faith. For others, I pray that you would bring memories into their minds right now as we're praying, that they would remember all the great things that you've done for them, the ways that you've set them free, brought them to you, Jesus, the ways that you provided financially and helped them out of destructive lifestyles. And as they regain those memories, of what you've done in the past in their lives, that it would energize their faith. And for the third group, God, I pray for those that are believing in you right now, that you would give them today a spiritual experience of you. And if you're one who's believing in Christ today, I want you to just say a prayer just between you and God. These words are not magical, but just say something like this to God. God, I confess to you that I've sinned. And right now, the best I understand it, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me new life. Welcome into my life. I want love relationship with you, Jesus. And God, we pray all these prayers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Well, I sure hope this service was helpful and encouraging for you today. So if this service was helpful for you, make sure to like, share, subscribe, and also sow into this ministry. So those of you who are regulars know how we always teach that we're bringing a first fruit tithe to the local storehouse, the church. Now, as soon as you hear that, some of you are tempted to tune out because you've fallen on financial hard times and you'd really like to give something, but you can't because you don't have any income right now. Well, if you need help right now, don't be stubborn. Your church is here for you. Just go to citytribe.church benevolence to fill out that form that allows us to help you. Others may want to fill out that form for someone you know who's too stubborn to fill it out for themselves. We're helping all kinds of people through these tithes and offerings. And look, wheelbarrow people bring a first fruit tithe to the storehouse, the church, and they see God bless them like he did a sister in our church named Adriana. 
She told us she gave her tithe online and within minutes of doing it, she got an email notification that a friend that she had not talked to in months sent her money through Venmo. And that same, uh, the amount of the gift that was sent through Venmo was the same amount as her tithe. You think that's a coincidence? Nope. Adriana got a sign pointing to faith by being faithful with her tithe. But look, whether or not we get miracle money through Venmo, wheelbarrow people like Adriana and like many of you love to see our tithes right now helping people in Liberia, Africa with COVID-19 relief. The Liberians don't get stimulus checks. We are their stimulus checks. And those of you who tithe receive the blessing of knowing that you're doing something good for people that are halfway across the world. In addition, wheelbarrow people care for the under-resourced in our own city. Recently, I had a conversation with a guy named Aaron that lives on the streets near the Cameo Theater. Because so many of you have been generous to him through your church, he wanted to express his gratitude. So I took a little phone video of Aaron thanking you. Go ahead and take a look. I'm Aaron Brimmer from Elmira, New York. City Tribe Church helps always me out when I'm in need. They give me products for my hygiene, stuff for my, my body. They help me out. And godly, we love City Tribe. Aaron Brimmer, New hey. York. Aaron, put that new shirt on, bro. Yes, sir. We're going to put on the new shirt. Yeah, buddy. Aaron, you're looking good in that City Tribe shirt, bro. I'm better now. <laughs> you're boss, man. Thank you, y'all. We- the reason Aaron has a church family is because many of you are wheelbarrow people through your tithes and your offerings. So here's how to sow into God's work today. You can do so by mail. Mail your offerings to P.O. Box 830745, San Antonio, Texas, 78283. You can do so by text. Just text the word tribe, space, and the dollar amount to 74483. Or you can do so online at citytribe.church slash tithe. So before you worship through tithes and offerings and we end the broadcast, please allow me to speak a benediction over you. So uh, if there's a friend or family member next to you there in quarantine, go ahead and put your hand on their shoulders or reach out to the screen. Dear brothers and sisters, go from this worship experience encouraged with a sign pointing to faith. Go with a renewed energy to ask again for the miracle of God. May your faith lead you to be a wheelbarrow person. As you step away from this streaming service, may you step into the wheelbarrow and experience the adventure of a lifetime in the capable hands of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You guys have an amazing Sunday and we'll see you next week. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.